Hey everybody, Craig here. Welcome to episode 11 of the Get Smarter and Make Stuff podcast. I know I don't usually come on at the beginning and talk at you, but I just have something I want to mention this time, and that's that the audio quality on this episode is not quite as good as I would like it to be. I recorded it at a party, um, it was pretty loud, and the microphones I was using aren't noise canceling, and further I had some issues with my mic that was cutting out a bit from time to time. Um, I thought maybe I was going to ditch the episode, but listening back to it, uh, I think it's it's pretty reasonable, like you can make out what we're saying very well most of the time. Um, and frankly, the conversation was just so interesting, I knew that if we re-recorded that we wouldn't be able to really recapture it, even if it would have been interesting in its own right. Um, so I decided to keep it. I will point out that the audio, like I said, is not ideal. In particular, the first couple minutes of it, um, my microphone is misbehaving pretty badly. Um, and. Uh, after that, it cleans up some. There's still a few moments here or there where it drops out a bit, but uh, if you can make it through the first few minutes, I think it'll be fine. Um, and if you're sensitive to that sort of thing, you might just want to give this one a miss. I promise that next time around, I'll have my microphone situation sorted back out and the audio quality will be a lot better. Uh, but like I said, I think the conversation was just so interesting that I decided to go ahead and produce this anyway. Um, and I hope you enjoy it. I know I certainly did. In any event, uh, thanks for listening, and let's go ahead and go on to episode 11. Good. Cool, let's roll. All right, so today, welcome everyone. Today is Saturday, October 9th in 2021, and I'm sitting here outside. You can maybe hear the crickets. I'm sitting here with a friend of mine, former co-worker, um, really interesting guy, maker, learner, like all of our guests um, that here on Get Smarter and Make Stuff. Uh, Marshall Thompson, welcome to the show, Marshall. Hey, Craig, thanks. Um, so I thought it would be really interesting to talk to you um, because you and I had a lot of interesting conversations about making things. We're both woodworkers, we both enjoy all sorts of stuff. I've talked to you about welding when I was starting to just think a little bit about welding and get into that. I, I got your advice on that. So you've done a lot of making and learning. And, and a lot of, um, you know, like this show is not really, I don't know if you had a chance to listen at all, but like this show is really just sort of pretty freeform. And so I, I don't have any particular agenda to talk to you, but. Two of the questions that kind of drive the show are, you know, what have you made, what have you learned, what are you making, what are you learning, talk to me about making, talk to me about learning. So I don't really have a, a really strong um, set of things that I necessarily want to do, but like I don't think we've talked about any particular projects that you're working on. So I'm just gonna throw it to you. What's what's on your what's on your bench, or what have you been learning, or what's going on? Awesome. Um, so recently, I have I have sort of reshifted. Uh, careers over the last eight months a couple times in, in two different directions. Let's say the last three or four months I've actually spent um, a lot of time relearning how to do data science, which is, you know, interesting for me. My background is in, in genetics and in software. Uh, and of course we met sort of directly in the software industry. And now I'm doing a little of both. I'm working at the Parker Institute for Cancer Immunotherapy. So uh, on the one hand, I feel very fortunate that I'm getting to relearn this whole arm of things that I haven't done for eight or 10 years. At the same time, it's actually taking me away from the bench proper because I've been at my uh, work workbench, uh, sort of reinvigorating my ability to use R and sort of do these other things. Well, you started a new job attempting to cure cancer, so one could excuse you if you're spending a little bit less time doing, say, woodworking. Well, you know, all things in moderation. Yeah. Um, although, yes, uh, 
I'll get back to it for sure. I have been starting to get back to it. Actually, the, the other sort of impetus that has, has prevented me from doing quite as much bench bench work lately has been we actually did a fairly large remodeling project at the house. So a lot of the making that I was doing wasn't sort of tinkering in my shop on the bench. It was, holy crap, move all my tools out of the shop into the house to finish a whole floor of the yeah, house. Yeah, so I, I'm actually doing a little bit of this myself right now. I'm, uh, we're, we're, we have a renovation. I'm trying to expand my shop. And I, I wonder if you could talk for a moment. There's a lot of things I want to talk to you about. Um, your work is super interesting. Your... <laughs> Your hobbies are super interesting, but I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the importance of your shop to you, like as a, as a space and a place, because oh, like... That's huge. The, the, yeah, it is. And I, I think the thing that um, happened to me was this week, it was just this week, in fact, where I had to um, shove a bunch of stuff out of the way so that the inspector could come in and look at the electrical work I'd done. And I was standing there the, the morning that I actually set aside to clear it out, and I did it. And it rendered my shop unusable to a large degree. I can still get to my lathe, but that's about it. And it really kind of caught me off guard, like how bummed out I was. I got over it pretty quick because I know it's temporary and it's for a good reason and everything, but like... A little existential angst yeah, about it. Yeah, and so I'm wondering yeah. if you have the same kind of reaction oh, around your totally. shop. Talk about your relationship with your shop space and how it was to... Well, it goes back a long, long way. So my dad has sort of my model of what a shop was mm. growing up, always did. It's close to 2,000 square feet, and you can barely walk in it. Because like <laughs> me, he has all the hobbies. Yeah. And it's like, maybe this will be useful someday. And it goes in the pile of the other things that are sort of shaped like that in my own mental warehouse inventory. And, and it's like, yeah, inevitably, he'll, he'll be like, I know I have one of those. And actually, I kind of know where in the pile of crap that it is. Right. Now, I think you and Tim both have a lot more... Uh, compunction around keeping your shop neat and tidy than oh, I ever no, have. Oh no, I do not. Like, I mean, I've been to your <laughs> shop, and it, yeah, it's it's a little bit. It certainly got a bit of that. Um, it looks w well used, but no, I mean, my shop is a disaster a lot of the time for sure. Um, but so it is. But it's actually you're right. Like, it's a super important part. Even if, even in the times when life is super busy and the kids and the traveling and whatever, and I don't get as much time out in the shop as I would like. Knowing that it's there and it's like, oh, I have 20 minutes. You know, the, 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 the kid went off to school on the bus and I don't have a meeting until 10 a.m. today. I'm going to go down to the shop and I'm going to putter for an hour or 15 minutes or whatever. It's like, it's both um, relieving to me to know that it's there even if I'm not using it. And then it is very relaxing to even just be in that space. Um, and that comes, I think, from my dad. Because I remember growing up, like he would, you know, do the same thing. It's like, oh, you know, we're done with dinner, like not much going on this evening, kids are doing homework or whatever. I'm like, where's dad? Oh, he's been out in the shop. I'm like, I wonder what he's doing. You wander out in the shop and it smells like my dad's cigar smoke and, and you find him out there and he's working on the bench on who knows what, right? It could be a car one day, it could be tools the next day. And so I'm, I'm curious, I'm always curious about origin stories. This is always a, an interesting thing to me. When you would, when you would go out and, um, you know, go into his space was that a thing that he was welcoming or indifferent or he uh, like he was, really he wanted it. to okay he, he was he was never like hey you need to come out and spend time in the shop with me so it was never like a pre that I, that i recall but he was also always like delighted to have company of from the kids me and my brother out there um you know he taught me to use tools from a pretty young age like whatever they were and and i think at the time some of those were appreciated and some of them were like 
what do you mean I have to fix the carburetor on the mower so that I can mow the lawn so that you'll pay me my allowance, <laughs> right? It's like, well, if you'd shut the gas off last time, like I told you, you wouldn't have to fix the carb first, but now you have to do that also. Okay, yeah. Um, so there were certainly some cases where I think at the time I didn't appreciate uh, being told to do that, but in hindsight, I'm very glad that I did. Um, but in the shop itself, no, he was always uh, like very welcoming to, to anybody. What, not just me, but all my friends too. Like a bunch of my friends and I used to ride motorcycles, dirt bikes a lot. I grew up in New Mexico and we lived sort of out of town where you could actually ride from my parents' house out into the desert without needing to trailer your bikes. And so we had, and we had beater bikes because that was what we had, old, old 70s motorcycles. And, you know, when my friends would get interested in it, like he was always around to teach them how to wrench on their stuff too. So, you know, we, we all grew up sort of fixing all of our crap in my dad's shop. Now, have you, I mean, I know you have a daughter. Uh, she's a bit younger than mine, but, you know, uh, she's kind of getting to the age where you, you could maybe start putting tools in her hands. And it, it's really tricky. I mean, it is, has been for me. Like, I know you're, you're talking about your dad and how he never forced you to it. And, of course, like the trick, I think, at least for me, and I imagine you might agree, is how to encourage them or to, like, bring them in because, of course... I'm sure, like me, you would love it if they would show an in, if she would show an interest. I, I've certainly enjoyed the degree to which my uh, both of my daughters, but uh, lately it's been more the younger one has shown an interest. Um, have, have you started down that road with her at all, or we have, and I think it comes it sort of comes and goes in in waves, right? Um, she, my daughter's very creative, and she's she's expressing a lot of ar artistic interests lately. So a few times that have been successful for me have been, you know, hey, let's. Let's play on the scroll saw and make a shape. Like, you draw the shape and I'll cut it out. Or like when she was a little younger. Now she's old enough to even start cutting it out herself, right? She's nine. Um, so there's been some of that. The other couple of successes we've had, uh, one was, hey, let's, you know, mom's out of town. Let's go make her a present together. Oh, okay. Right, or I think, in fact, one time uh, her mom was, was out of town and it was coming up on, I can't remember if it was Mother's Day or birthday, but our kitchen didn't have... Uh, nice hinges, soft closed hinges and soft closed drawers. And I said, what do you think? Should we order soft closed hinges and we'll replace all the hinges in the kitchen on like a Tuesday night, right? And so, and you know, that's, you know, it was a fairly straight swap out, but you know, it's a screwdriver and like I could put it in her hand right. and you know, this was a couple years ago. She, she was probably six and I could say, you know, I, it, also it's hard for me because I'm like, don't strip the screws or don't, right. you know, whatever, yeah, but, sure. but it was, it was, it, I got, I got comfortable enough to be like, yeah, here, you hold the screwdriver, you put the screws in and like come back and tighten them behind her or whatever. But like, I've definitely had a few cases where it's like, yeah, this is awesome. Uh, of course, sometimes, you know, some of the more, I don't want to say onerous, but the more like, okay, well we have to do all these steps before it looks like something interesting. Right. It can be hard to maintain the interest. Yes. I've had the same exact problem was we did anything that took like two or three or four or five shop sessions was harder to do. Whereas when we went to the lathe and made a pen in like 45 minutes, that was a slam dunk. So I was just going to bring that one yeah. up. So that was one that we did do together. A couple, She helped me make a couple pens and then we made a wand for her, for her best friend. Oh yeah. Like we, we sort of shaped the wand together and then put the finish on together and whatever. So like that was, that was a winner because like you say, it's, Immediate. 45 minutes you get covered right. in a little bit of chips and she thought that was fun and then it's like <laughs> hey it's done you can give it to your friend right do you have any sort of um like i don't like i i kind of make up the the so my so my younger i think i mentioned this in the show before but we're doing a thing that i call home eng instead of an echo of home ec she had, <laughs> i love it she had yeah it's it's fun she she had um 
so this is 2021. Last year was the pandemic. She is in middle school, was going to take the engineering class in middle school, which I guess is what they call shop these days, and said, oh, you know, um, I don't really want to do it virtual, which is completely understandable. And she's like, will you, will you do shop class with me or equivalent? So we've been doing this thing. Anyway, I've documented a little bit on the website. And I just have been coming up with projects as we go. Um, and I really haven't thought far ahead, so I'm wondering whether you have anything in mind that you've been like, oh, this will be a good thing to do with her at soon or much later or, or what? Oh, that's a super good question. One I've been thinking about is Bandsaw Box. Yeah. That's what we're doing right you've now. already done that one. We're doing that one right now, yeah. in fact. If I, I had her to the metal lathe because we finished the box, but we want knobs for the drawers, and it's uh, like, oh, this is perfect, right? We can take some brass and do a really simple turning and talk about how to hit a dimension and all that good stuff. Yeah, so that's, that's a that's good a one. That's a good one, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you already touched the lathe ones. The bandsaw box was, I think, an obvious one. The, I mean, I've, I've made, I like to tinker. Sometimes I just don't have the time to do sort of a bigger project, even for myself. Sure. So I've had pretty good success with some of the scroll saw patterns. Okay. Which, you know, I mean, they're fun, especially like this time of year, you're getting on toward the holiday presents. Like, shoot a little lacquer on like a, you know, sort of, sort of holiday-themed ornament. Like, that's a, that's a, you know, you got to be careful, of course, though, because the, the really fine, detailed ones, they get frustrated. They even frustrate me, right? Like, the really fine the filigree and stuff, forget it. But, like, some of those are can, can be fun. And I think she, last year, my daughter did actually express some interest in doing a couple of those. We never actually got to it. So I think I might do that. Or, or maybe, like, the sort of layered candlestick thing where you sort of make the random cuts and then, and then layer a piece of, like... Uh, red metal or red cloth or something in between it and then cut it again so you get the squirrels of the cloth from oh, the wood. Oh, interesting. Like, that sort of stuff that's like, again, at least for her age right now, I'm like, okay, what can I do that is like one or max two 45-minute to an hour sessions? Um, which also sort of precludes most finishing. So I think at this point, Dad will probably handle a lot yeah, of Yeah, and I've done that too, like where... Um I think I mentioned this on the show before as well, but like um, I, I really underestimated the degree to which upper body strength is required, or maybe body mass is required for pushing a hand plane. So we made a tray, and I'm like, oh, well, we'll cut the piece on the bandsaw, but then we'll smooth them out with a hand plane. And I like said, here you go, here's the hand plane, and she just couldn't do it. Yeah. And so, but but I think that was fine because like like you're saying, uh, if if I did, she would go away, and I'd be like, okay, I'll just plane this up. And the next time she comes back, we'll be on to the next thing, and it was it was totally fine. Right, right. Um, my 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 thirteen year old, my daughter's thirteen, and yours is nine, if I recall correctly. She's correct nine. Yeah. yeah. My thirteen year old wants to learn to weld, and I'm like, yeah, we Let's should do, do that. that Let's thing. totally do that. I bought another mask and all that good stuff. Because I mean, like, I feel like I don't welding is just. I mean, I'm new to it, so I'm kind of like, um, you know, very much uh, kind of in the honeymoon period or whatever. But I feel like if I can get her to weld, then it's like. That feels like some kind of a threshold, you know? It definitely seems yeah. like all of a sudden it's not just like, oh, we're playing with wood, whatever. Right. It's like, no, I can legitimately make things right. out of any material That's I'm right. interested in making right. things out of. Yeah, totally. Or at least well down that path. Yeah. The other one I just thought of is puzzles. I don't know. Like, oh, sure. Her grandmother, so actually my, my wife's mother, uh, and, and actually my wife's father is quite a successful woodworker and he's very serious like he he makes beautiful beautiful stuff he's a patience of a saint compared to me <laughs> um which is what that takes yep um but they both made a lot of puzzles back in you know sort of at various points and then 
my wife's mom has done a lot of photography, and so then it was kind of natural, like, oh, you can get your photos printed on whatever, and then she got a little scroll saw, and she cut her own puzzles. It's probably a fun, pretty easy one. Yeah, for, it wouldn't be know. too bad, right? Yeah, I mean, you could even maybe print, like, the puzzle pattern on there to follow the lines or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good idea. So I, I want to kind of, I know this is a bit of a, a left turn, but I, I don't want to make sure that we come back to your work because, um, you know, curing cancer, right? Like, that's a pretty big deal. Um, and, and to talk a little bit about, like, I feel like there's, because there's, when you and I get together, we're actually, hap we happen to be right now, the two of us, at a, at a party that happens every year. This has been a bit of an exception. It's been two years since, well, a year and a half since the last one. It's called the Hacker Bed and Breakfast. People may have heard of Talks about Fourth. But it's a number of interesting people that get together, and they're, we're all what we would consider hackers in the, in the good sense of that word. Um, and when you and I get together, we very naturally move between the topics, you know, like we were talking at, at dinner about molecular biology, which is your, you know, areas, one of your areas of specialty. But that same conversation had woodworking in it. It had, you know, software topics in it. It had math and it had whatever. And so um, what I'm really interested in this show is, you know, we talk about getting smarter and making stuff, like the kind of crossover. So what was a very long-winded way of saying, like, I want you to talk about your work, but I, but I feel like there's almost for sure an element in which what we were just talking about, going in the shop and working with your daughter, and going to work and working on hard problems around cancer research, are an aspect of the same thing. And so I'm curious to hear your to sort of take on all of that, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Uh, I mean, I think it's unsurprising to me that folks like the folks that we're hanging out here with this weekend and, and, and other folks who we probably sort of hold dear in our personal and work lives have a lot of these crossovers, right? It turns out I'm, I'm at, again, you said the Parker Institute, and I'm randomly chatting with people. And it turns out a bunch of people who I work with also love board games in right. the same way. That, right? It's like all these things have the, you know, there's they're the edges of these overlapping Venn diagrams. Yeah. I think it's probably because of the thing you just said, even if people don't realize it explicitly, that, you know, thinking hard about hard problems with a goal to the, achieving, you know, some answer to those, whatever they are, whether it's how do I engage my daughter in the hobbies that I like? Because, and honestly, that can be a pretty hard problem sure. as a parent. Like, how do I engage my personal, like, physical and mental capabilities, whether that's using a hand plane or, or finishing a piece of woodworking or it's, you know, I have a mental model of how cells work and I'm thinking about the ways that I can poke them cleverly to maybe make them do something else or not do something else, right? I think those all do really stem from the same sort of scientific principles at a, in a sense, right? It's like, I have a hypothesis about how hard I should push on this plane to make the outcome I want. And at some level, that, that's what you're doing, right? And I guess it becomes a little more natural the more you do it, but I think, I don't so, know. So that almost sounds like um, it's an, it's, it's a that it has an element of control to it, right? Like to, to like yeah. to gain a mastery of the environment, which feels close to me, but not, I don't know if it's the same reaction, whether that feels like, that can't be all of it, but there's an element of that in there, if that makes sense. Yeah, there is. I mean, I think it, it's sometimes it's hard for me to separate, like on the work side of things, I'm very fortunate that I'm able to, to work at a place like the Parker where... Uh, you know, the mission is, as you've said, like, we, we want to help people with cancer. Like, we, right. we want to solve these problems. Like, that, that's compelling just as a human. Sure. Um, but also that, like, some combination of my background, whether it's the computer science side of things, it's the molecular biology side of things, can be 
applied to that problem. And you know, the shop thing is, I'm fortunate enough to have sort of accumulated some good tools and some interest in applying those tools to a piece of wood or a piece of metal or whatever to achieve something that's either pretty or useful or I can give to someone to give them joy, right? So I think part of it too is like, I know how to do some number of things. I'm, I've also, I guess one of the things I've learned and continue to be appreciative that I have learned it is how to learn. Yes. And I know that's really what your, what your site and a lot of this is about. Yeah. It's like, I'm not afraid to say, I don't know how to do that, but I believe that I can go figure it out. Yeah, and how did you get that way? Like, what, how, does that, like how does that come up? Because that's I think that's a thing that people really kind question. of don't necessarily know how to do. I, I don't know exactly, and I think probably part of it is laid at my parents. I think that they laid a good foundation yep. for that. I think I formalized it in graduate school. Okay. Because in a lot of ways, most graduate programs, at least that I'm aware of in the sciences, are kind of about that. Right, like you eventually get to the point where you're going to defend your dissertation, and again, this is this is my opinion on it, having done the thing. Yeah. But you know, I, and I'm sure there are plenty of people who disagree. But um, my experience, summed up now more than a decade, you know, about a decade later, is that the biggest thing I took away from that wasn't you know you go to your defense and you're like the expert in this particular thing that you studied for eight years or nine years or whatever it was, but in a, maybe some cases, but in a lot of cases. That, it doesn't matter, quote-unquote, right? You're a trainee. You're there to learn. Yes, the science you did could be really important and really good, but the important thing is that you demonstrate that you were presented with some sort of scientific hypothesis or question or problem, and you were able to go figure out how to ask the questions about what the next step is to progress toward an answer to that. So how explicit is that? I mean, like, I mean, I, I did a master's degree, but it was that was it. It was just, like, a pretty dip my toe in to what extent do you think that um because that sounds pretty important right like if, if it really it is. is if it really is the goal that that you want to say well the, the reason we're going to give you this degree is that you've proven your ability to sort of master something right to what extent is the system designed to really test for that and to what <laughs> degree is there like a lot of other stuff that happens to do that but isn't aimed at that or isn't ideal for doing that right so you're definitely pushing on my ability to ever possibly get a degree or a position in academia ever again <laughs> for my answer to this question i don't think it no, 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 I know this, but... <laughs> so i think and again this is you know hindsight and you know my graduate career i'm very very thankful for the way that it turned out yeah it was very hard at the time i, it, I was in graduate school for a long time like even proportional you know it, i was a nine-year phd okay basically. that's a long time yeah um and and so I almost quit a bunch of times. And most grad students that I know yeah. almost quit it's, a bunch of times. It's clearly very hard, yep. Um, for some for good reasons and some for not, right? But I think you ask a very poignant question there, which is now, again, not really being in academia anymore. I believe strongly that that is the thing it should be both teaching and testing for. And I think that I saw a pretty big spectrum of yeah, that's definitely what it did for so-and-so, and holy crap, that's not what it did for that other person. So I suspect, thinking about your question, which I think is very well phrased, that, you know, like most of these things, the answer is it depends. Yeah. And it depends a lot in the department and your particular mentor and who's on your committee and, you know, who you are. Like how you, because I mean, the other thing is, for better or for worse, you're an adult at that point and you're sort of driving the thing. 
you know, you, you are not in the position of power, but I think a lot of grad students possibly, and again, it depends on your PI, your, uh, the lab that you work in or, or the, your mentor, but I think you potentially have the ability or the power to push that more in one direction or the other, maybe more than you realize at that point in your career in life. So okay, so that's interesting, and I, I, I mean, I'm not familiar enough with academia to really maybe dig down on that too much. But I, you know, you mentioned a couple things. You mentioned, you know, you academia. We've talked a little bit about your your making. We've talked about the fact that we're we're both in software, or have been in software. Um, is your current role with Parker Institute more software oriented, or it's actually uh, sort of half and half? Okay. But formally, it's data science and engineering. Right. Okay. So I'm sort of I'm helping build the tools that we're using to do the science. And then I'm also using those tools and doing the science. Gotcha. So my, what I'm curious about is, you know, I think a lot of our, I don't actually know for sure, but I think a lot of our listeners um, have had some exposure to software, certainly not all of them, but like, but like let's talk about that idea of, um, of that maybe in academia we should be testing for like the ability to learn. Yeah. Right? And like... Should we be doing that in professional software? And if so, how are we doing it? And if not, how are we not Could doing we? it? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it does. Um, and yeah, w one more step back to the academic thing, just because I think it's apropos. If we're going to call it school, you're, you're, if you're a trainee, you're yep. a graduate student, yep. I would say that is appropriate. right? And if you want to go have the career and sort of the golden path of science, a postdoc is the next thing. The postdoc is where you demonstrate that you can do the science. I see. At least... In a golden view, the way it should be, right? Yep. You learn how to learn as a graduate student. You demonstrate that you can be a scientist as a postdoc. Okay. So then extending that to the science, or to the, the software realm, yep. um, I don't know if we're doing that. Yeah, I, I don't either. I, my, my general feeling is probably not, or at least not as well as we should be. It's not a big component. I feel like there's times where, uh, sorry to jump in, but I feel like there's times where when someone starts, right, if, if, we're, if we're really good, I think, like, for example, the company I work at, Kevl, we have at times been pretty good and said, we're going to support you really well for the first few months. But that's not quite the same thing as saying, as saying, we need learners and we're going to focus on the ability to learn and, and instill it in you to the extent that it's not already and have right. you prove it out. I, I don't even know if this idea has any legs. It just kind of occurred to me it's when I was talking idea. to you is like, you know, should this be a thing that we should be pursuing, you know? Well, so I had a conversation with Neil earlier today and one of the things that he suggested or, or said and he's at ThoughtWorks which is yep. you know has a very strong culture of the way that they build software and the way they sort of train and build software engineers yep. is that they focus a lot on sort of mentorship and pairing yep. like throughout all of their projects so and they do this you know they both pair together peers so whether you're a junior or sort of mid-level or senior you pair with people at your level you also have this idea of mentorship where they pair with, you know, a more senior person with a more junior person. And, you know, I think this is pretty well supported, like, in the trades historically, yeah, right? Sure. As an artisan, like, right. you become a journeyman, yep. you, you know, do all these things by working alongside the guy who's been doing it for 20 and 30 and 40 years. Yep. And those are the places where you learn, you know, their lessons 
through seeing them do it the right way, or at least their right way. Right. Um, I think there are probably worse models. Um, now, of course, you know, I think, and I have a lot of respect for ThoughtWorks and the way they do what they do. I think that in my experience with software startups in previous ones, and may, maybe, you know, I don't know how, how it is at Kevl for you guys now, but that is hard. That's a hard pill to swallow, and it's a hard thing to sell in sort of the pretty hyper-competitive, like, deadlines are coming, we need to ship software, we need, you know, like, there are economic realities that often make that more difficult, for better or for worse. Yeah, well, for sure. I mean, every, every time you have um, a choice about how to spend a minute, right, like, it, it, forget about necessarily software, but, like, you can invest or you can spend, right? right? And, and the, you know, it's not always clear which one is the right, but... I I am of the opinion that you it, it's pretty hard to go wrong investing in people and of course those things are not really mutually exclusive like of course. If, if you if you were to come work with us and we were to sit down and say hey we're going to work on this system and we sit down together and I spend time explaining it to you that is both investing in you as an individual maybe maybe growing you in some respect but also moving you towards being able to do the thing that I need you to do so we kind of got fair. that going for us but um yeah, it's an interesting question. Um. I mean, I think it would be interesting to, to think about how you would embed that in what is maybe the more traditional path for someone who wants to become a programmer or a software engineer, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Right? Like, what does that look like? I mean, it looks like, I don't know, a four-year degree. For some people, it looks like a two-year degree. For some other people, it looks like sort of self-taught and a code camp or I don't know what, right? Like, yeah, we've tried a lot of models, certainly, as an industry. And, and I'm, not sure, I'm not sure any one of them has sort of obviously the right one, quote-unquote, and I think that's probably because it's, there's a different right one for different people and different targets. But you could imagine, you know, more of an emphasis on this sort of mentorship model, at least at the university level, right? Um, especially if you had more project-based work. I mean, I think, yeah. that, you know, th this is the tricky slope where it's, you know, well, how much, how much fundamentals, how much math, how much linear algebra are you going to do, how much right. whatever, like, that's not project-based, that's not pairing, that's go study the book yeah so some of that comes back too to you know programming and computer science and software engineering and the term that i've come to to like the most even though it's not perfect is i i like to refer to myself as a software engineer now truthfully more of what i do is more of a lot of the time not 100 percent, is uh, being a software technician sure this is something we were talking about at dinner earlier i'll just recap real quick like you know, when I was at a defense contract that I worked at a long time ago, you had the engineers and I think other people had the same experience who would do design. And it was really design. It was really on paper. It was, you know, um, there was no actual physical object because, of course, in my case, we were talking about electronics. And you, you and certainly back in the 1990s when I was doing it, it, you know, prototyping tools were not what they are today, whatever. So, like, you had, you had this sort of intellectual aspect where you would say, Here's the way the system should be. And then a totally, totally separate uh, set of people with an entirely different educational background who were the technicians that would actually go ahead and build it. And they knew a lot of things about how to translate that design into the real world, right. that some of which the engineers did not know, in fact, and that were important aspects. And, and I think um, it's a distinction that is very difficult in software for us to make right now. Like, we don't really always know when we're when we should be technicians and when we should be engineers. Um, I still like the term software engineering because I think it's an aspirational term. It moves us towards, 
the idea that this is a system that has certain properties that we should be able to exploit to achieve an effect in much the same way that we would exploit concrete or actually I'm not a huge fan of the building analogy I think we've overused it's a little, it. little stretched we've really stretched it a lot but the same idea like that you know there's the book and we understand some yeah. physical properties of the materials and we can sit down and think about it first and then and then move forward and just like in the real world like you know those technicians would come back to the engineers and say we got to change this the engineers would change the design we would do it like it's not right. all set thing but well um, I think one thing you just said that that really hits home for me is Something that a lot of software engineers or developers, whatever they want to call themselves, don't do is think about what they're trying to do before they start doing it. Yeah, right. And it's hard. It's actually, I think it's actually, um, I think there's actually a good reason for that, right? Which is that um, a big part of building software, and we should talk about how, how true this is in the realm of building physical objects as well. But in building software, like, it is very much about building, like, a mental model. Right. Right. Like, you have, to, you have to go into your head and build this model. And, of course, as soon as you start doing that, as soon as you start doing that, you're attempting to hold the kind of, the, if you like, the physical properties, like the, the, the details and the model and marry them together. And I think it's a big ask to say that you can do that and then also zoom out, right? Right, like you're you you've got to be all the way in and all the way out, and it does come with experience or whatever. But but I think it's a big ask, especially for people that haven't been doing it for a while, which is why we tend to get why it's so common is because you know thinking about the details. So I'm I'm, I'm trying to think like how to bring this back to like the physical realm because I do want to like talk about the you know the the the, the building of physical objects as well. Are there places in the shop where you know, you're sitting in front of the saw, the scroll saw, and you're looking at cutting this curve, and you lose sight of the fact that, oh, I'm making a Christmas ornament. Right. Or, or whatever. Like, does that, do you think that same kind of thing happens where, where, the, where the, the big picture... I know how it happens for me, actually. And I'll let you think about it for a minute while I talk about this. For me, the thing that happens that's kind of like this is I, I go in the shop, and I'm like, oh, do this. Oh, but I don't have quite the right tool. Let me make that tool. Oh, but that tool needs to round it off. So I got to sand, sand the corner. Oh, but you know what? I don't really like the sandpaper. It needs a backing block. This is like the classic Malcolm block. in the Middle skit, right? Yeah. Where he goes to change the light bulb in, in, the, yes. in the, uh, the, the garage and he ends up you know, rebuilding the car's engine. Of course, yeah. For the want of a nail, that whole thing, <laughs> right? Right, the, right. Or sometimes I like to call it the, uh, the yak stack, right? You know, the, yeah. the, the yak shaving, that whole analogy. <laughs> right. But so I wonder whether do you, do you think that's kind of the same thing? Like, is that the is that the the details obscure the the, the strategic obscures is obscure to the tactical? Is that the same kind of thing? I think it's probably not far off, and I think that we also, at least in my experience, in a lot of the formal education for people to go learn to build software as a career, we actually don't do much teaching of the thinking about the big thing, mm. right? Like when you, I, I don't know, I haven't taken a lot of woodworking courses. I've sort of explored it myself but when you show up they don't say all right i'm going to teach you to cut a tiny little hole with a scroll saw they say okay we're gonna we're gonna cut a christmas ornament and then you sort of go down the path of what you need to do to get there a lot of software teaching is let me teach you how yeah. this blade of no, the saw right. works right the first thing you learn is yeah. how do you write a print statement like i don't care 
right? I want to know how to make software that yeah. does a thing. No. That's not where we start. Yeah, no, and it's funny because, like, what do you hear advice from people when you say, they, I would like to get started in software? What do, what do you tell people? I'm sure it's the same thing world. I do. Well, no, no. actually. Oh. It's find a project that you're interested in. Right. Right, like, get it. But yes, you're right. That is how it's typically taught. But, like, I think you would agree if someone says, I want to get into software. Well, first problem is find a problem you care about. Right, because um, the frustrations are going to come either way. That's right. And you should at to least overcome. want to be able to look at the big picture and say, I'm doing this frustrating thing because yep. I care about where I'm headed with it. And that's right. And it will force you to go through and do a bunch of stuff that following a book might not. Right. And it will be the kind of stuff like, oh, I got to figure out version control. Oh, I got to figure out how to make a web page for this. Oh, I've got to write documentation. Oh, I've got to. Um, you know, figure out how to empty the dust bag on my dust collector or whatever all these right. other incidentals are that, that aren't really incidental. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very interesting. apt sort of place we've landed on with yeah, that. Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm curious, though, like, you know, like I just mentioned kind of how I have this tendency to, to, to kind of follow my nose and wind up, you know, yep. five left turns, and I don't know which way I'm pointing anymore. Um, and I've recently started to um, try to combat that a little bit because I, I enjoy it, right? Like, it's fun to go in the shop and just right. do whatever. And I've got a million things. And, like, you know, to go in and say, well, I, you know, I, I wound up um, at the lathe turning a knob for a tool that I didn't even have when I started out today. That's still fun. But I actually just recently have started saying, okay, well, you know, I actually really would like to stick at the thing I set out to do because... I'll turn back to the original thing. I didn't finish that because I got really distracted. And so I started to like write down, your goal is, right. and for me right now as an example, like I want to learn, I want to go from a 3D printed object to a metal version of it. Right, oh, cool. Somehow. The, the casting thing. And it's the, casting, whatever. right, yeah. yeah. So you, there's a bunch of ways you can do it. You can do um, what's called lost PLA casting where you print the object using an FDM printer. Mm -hmm. But I actually want to do it with my SLA printer because the SLA printers are, those are the resin printers, are way higher resolution. At least the ones I have are way, is a way higher resolution. You get resolution. a much nicer detail in you your do, final object. But you can't burn out SLA resin. Okay, so now you have to sand cast or you have to make a mold. You've got to make a mold the, yeah. and then go from there. And so, my, so I have written down, I'm like, okay, my goal is to cast in metal. And I've actually spent almost two months now um, researching... Um, how to make uh, wax casts using hardware store silicone caulk instead of the two. <laughs> awesome. You can you can buy the two part stuff and it's. I have a whole video. A yeah, YouTube right. Video no, I've watched some of it. Yeah, but yeah. So, but it's, it's expensive and you got to ship it. And the, yeah, right. although as it turns out, I'll spoiler alert for anybody that's going to watch the video. I actually computed the cost. It's the same. If you take <laughs> if you take a hundred the two part silicone and a hundred grams of hardware store silicone caulk and and mineral spirits and cornstarch, and you add that up, it is actually the same cost. Oh, well. Um, and I've already spent over $100 in hardware store silicone caulk <laughs> figuring this out. Anyway, but, 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 but I've, like, I've like been happy because even though I'm down this weird path of mixing mineral spirits and silicone caulk together. You're still headed for that. I know it's in pursuit of this. Right. And so I'm wondering like, what your experience is either at, 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 for work stuff, because like research, like that feels to me like it could be more kind of randomly directed or hard to like stay on the path although maybe there's something keeping you on the yeah. straight and narrow and also in your like personal pursuits in the shop or whatever yeah like have you i mean maybe that's something you don't care about maybe you're like no i actually like to go and do a random walk through crazy stuff that i'm doing so in my personal shop stuff i do like the random walk 
occasionally I get frustrated with myself, as you said, because I'm like, oh yeah, I was going to do that thing three weeks ago, and right. I completely forgot that that's why I started. <laughs> right. Eh. Most of the time I chalk that up to, well, I had fun in the interim and it's okay. That's good. That's um, really healthy, actually. It probably is. Yeah. Now, there are a few occasions where it's like, oh, I'm actually, I start the process because something's broken in the house. Right, so a lot of my making, as it turns out, actually, because of where I'm at and the way things are going, often starts as something's broken. <laughs> I, it's not like I want to go create something from nothing. It's I need to fix this problem. Okay. And then there's three steps of making in between that gets me there. Which is okay. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, and I'm. Um, I mean, I certainly do some of that as well. Um, do you cool. do you allow yourself like a lot of latitude around saying, "Well, I I could fix this really fast, or I could do it in a way that I could learn something and you know maybe gain a bunch of experience or just spend time in in, the in puttering and yeah, it depends a ton on the context. I like doing both ways, right? Because sometimes it's like uh, it's plumbing. Like I I don't want to learn new fancy ways of like connecting PVC to other PVC that carries, you know, waste products out of my, of my, my bathroom. We're like, I just, I want it done and I don't want to think about it again. Right. Um, but then other times, yeah, it's like, you know, the circulation is bad in this part of the house. Well, I could probably just go put a baffle in the, in the vent in the next door and that's going to be a little loud, but I know it'll work. Or I could like go think about how I might like wire up some Arduino powered thing that you know, with a with a flow meter, it actually balanced. Have you done that? No, of course not. Uh, well, I've thought I've sort of planned not. it out, okay, but good. I never actually got you to the doing. Okay, well. um, but you know, so I think it depends a little bit on context. Uh, I like doing both ways. Um, at the work one, though, uh, interestingly, I definitely hit a lot of that in graduate school, which again, going back to our previous conversation, probably depends a lot on on the lab that you're in and how it's run and how you're mentored and whatever. I did a lot of the. Wow, I've ended up. 17 Monte Carlo steps away from where I was yeah. with no good reason. Right. And I learned a lot doing it. At the Parker, uh, it's much more focused both because of what we're doing and because of how we're doing it. So, so we are very focused on, we actually are running a lot of clinical trials. And a lot of clinical, and you know, part of the deal with clinical trials is you sort of design all that stuff up front. There's a lot of writing and thinking before anything hits the science. So a lot of those things, I don't want to call it prescriptive because it still is research, but a lot of the steps and the process and stuff are much more tightly bound to we, we are going to get to this thing. And in fact, we promise to probably, you know. So um, now we do have some more exploratory work, which I'm also involved in around like taking retrospective data sets, right? Or, or old samples from, from various places and sort of combining them in new creative and interesting ways. But it all tends to still be in the pursuit of like, okay, we've framed a scientific question up front, which is the equivalent of your, I want to learn to go from a printed object to a casted object. It's, I want to know whether, you know, there's a relationship between this type of therapy and adverse events, right? Or whether there's a, or whether I can predict who's going to get an adverse event. Now, the way to get there might involve three different types of molecular, you know, tests, or it might involve data from four different collaborators, including clinical data and other molecular data. But in all cases, it's, I'm pushing at this hypothesis that, you know, this particular treatment has this, this sort of outcome in the cases where people have adverse events or not. I, I like that. Like I said, I've, I've been interested in this idea lately of like, you know, trying to stay on track. What, who's, how are you, I mean, I think some of the answer to this might be simply this is how science is done and you're trained that way. I think that's right. I think a lot, and you know, 
I, I, <laughs> you, I, you and I have both had the conversation about the the sort of uh, feeling like, oh my God, all these people around me are better and smarter and more amazing. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, I, I feel that now at the Parker because sure. these are all very accomplished, very fantastic scientists. They're brilliant people, so it helps that they. This is the way that they've tra been trained, and I've been trained. And yes, it is very much the hypothesis-driven scientific method, which is, I, you know. Now you have to start with a mental model. You already talked about having a mental model of the system and software that you're going to build. You have to, you know, part of the reason I would argue that that the sciences tend to involve to involve a lot of sort of pre-work in the form of well, go get an undergraduate degree and then go get a graduate degree, all with the classes and like, is that you have to have enough foundational knowledge to have a working mental model of the system you're studying, whether that's immunology or the way that you know an infectious disease works or whatever. You have to have a pretty solid working model of the science that's come before you and the way those things interact. But then what you do is you say, okay, there is this thing that we don't understand, and I have a hypothesis of how that fits into that mental model I have. How do I design an experiment that lets me move that, that question a little closer to my proposed mental model and where it fits in that mental model? And then you iterate on that, right? So your first attempt may not actually solve it, usually doesn't. But it at least tells you, okay, well, I have a little vignette of an idea that, that gets me a little closer, or, oh, God, that was clearly a terrible path to have tried. <laughs> like, I'll try something else this time, right? So, um, and then you do that over and over until you manage to get to a place where you are comfortable saying, I have stated a hypothesis that I can demonstrate through the data and the experiments that I've done is supported or is not supported. Mm -hmm. uh, you could apply, I think you can apply that to doing projects in your shop. Oh, no, right? for sure. Like, it sounds like it's exactly what you I, did. It is. Casting. In fact, I have a lab notebook, and I went through and did experiments, and, and it, it's interesting. I mean, like, it, it's not up to the level of science, because, for instance, like, I was trying different types of and I would vary more than one variable. So, like, I would pour it at this temperature, and it would have What's well, the dirty little secret, right? Is sure. That, that you learn that scientific methods that always only ever move one variable. <laughs> and then, of course, you get in the lab, and you're like, well, I changed seven things, and I'm pretty sure this is the one that did it. And, right. then, you, and then you inevitably have to go back and figure out which one it really and was. And that's the part that I haven't necessarily been as good at. But, it, you know, I do feel like it's, um, it's at least in the neighborhood and, and that it's moving me in the right direction. And, and also, I think... Um, uh, documenting it on YouTube means that other people are going to be able to come along and, and well, try yeah, to do the same thing. It's the right? peer review process it in is, action, yeah. right? I mean, I'd, be, I'd be thrilled to see somebody um, come along and even just repeat my results. Even though I haven't been quite gotten to the place I wanted to, oh, yeah. even better, of course, would be somebody okay. saying... Yes, and, yeah. Well, and that is the sign. That's the... That is the goal of sort of the publication, sure. you know, for better and for worse. Like I can say plenty of negative things about the way that the sort of publishing parish yeah. and funding and whatever, but the, the goal, which I do still very strongly believe in, is exactly what you said. I demonstrated this thing. You can then go do that and take the next step. Right, right. Yeah, showing enough that you can, that you can carry it, do whatever from there, that everybody has the knowledge that you invested to find. Yep, exactly. It's interesting to think that we don't really do that. Well, actually, that, that's not really true, is it? Like, the, that YouTube actually seems to be the um, peer publication uh, system for... For sort of life ho and hobbies and, yeah. You and I have talked about uh, welding as one example and, like, how, how I knew without a doubt that I could go out and find someone on YouTube who would teach me to weld good enough 
that I wouldn't hurt myself. Right. You know, that I could, I mean, you know, it's not the same as taking a class or, you know, going through like a, a Votech school or whatever. To, you know, YouTube is not a substitute, but that there would be something that, that someone has taken. a long the, way down that path. Yeah, that yeah. someone's actually taken the time to document how to do this stuff in the in the in the in the maker realm. Um, I don't. It's not exclusive to that. You cooking, whatever. I think it's all out there. But right. it is super interesting to me. I mean, electronics or I did the electronic lead screw project, and that was a guy making YouTube videos and just saying I designed this thing and put it out there, and it's like. Yeah, I mean, I learned, you know, the forums, too, like, because I'm old and crotchety, right? Like, I, I'm i like, yes, occasionally I will stoop to putting myself on YouTube and watching the, no, I, I love the YouTube videos, but I also even just find, like, hobby forums, right? Like, I do a lot of tinkering on my motorcycles. The motorcycle forums are wonderful. I've recently gotten into telescopes. Well, and by recently, like everybody else during the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but it's a, it's a wonderful hobby, right? And and the forums and YouTube both are just spectacular. And so I've like kitted out my telescope with all these tips and tricks that people have little videos right. about. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it turns out, you know, I, I, I used it, got a little frustrated, went inside, went on the forum and I was like, ah, this is a real pain. I couldn't get it doing what I wanted to do. And like, sure enough, there's a guy who's like, oh, look at the thing I did. And they're like, oh, that's smart. You got into the shop. 20 minutes later, I have, like, a slightly different adaptation. I take it out the next time. I'm like, this is great. I, 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 yeah, no, I completely... I'm, the, the, you made me think of, like, my own personal experience expanding out of woodworking, which is relatively recent for me. Like, I was primarily a woodworker for a long time. And, you know, have moved more... And you've been doing that other stuff, metalworking and other materials longer than I have. Um... Do you? I am. I can't imagine it's anything but yes. But like, I assume you find that it is multiplicative, right? Like, as soon as you take, oh, yeah, you know, you go wood. Wood is great. Metal is great. Wood and metal is like bonkers great. It's a great bonkers yeah. great. And then you add in plastic, and you know, and to the point now where I'm like, it's actually ridiculous. Like, I'm like, I really don't need this hobby to get bigger. It's already too big for me. Yeah. And yet, I'm like. Man, if I added glass, that would be like then you could do so much more. Right. Or like, like, what about ceramics? Or what about you know whatever? And I don't know whether it's the same for you at all. To a degree, for sure. I mean, again, I, I mentioned my dad. I was very fortunate. He was he was very into both metal and woodworking, and he was a little bit. It still is very jack of all trades, sort of fixing things and tinkering and whatever. It's a little bit of electronics here, you know, all of it. Um, but he also had friends and, and companions and other folks around. So he was he taught at a community college, facilities maintenance technology. But the bay next door to his was the welding shop. And he's became very good friends with the, the, the head of the welding shop, who is a master welder and is extraordinarily meticulous. And so whenever it reached a point where it was like, well, I know this can be done, but I don't have the tool or the capability yeah. or whatever, we'd call up David, we'd go over to his shop, and he's like, oh yeah, I got just the thing, right? And then another of my dad's friends, who again, he made through these sorts of relationships, was uh, an ex-machinist from NASA who worked at like a materials testing site and had CNC mills and lathes in his home shop. So it was like, yes, my dad had a mill and a lathe, but when it became to like, oh no, this needs to be perfect to within, you know some number of thousands even smaller than we could do on our little hand lathe at home it's like sure. well let's go over to jack's house he has right. a cnc and we'll do it there yeah um so but yes it is definitely multiplicative um i got a little spoiled though to be perfectly honest and um 
growing up around that because I was like, well, I can always call up dad's friend Jack if I need something machined, right? <laughs> and so then I moved out across the country for graduate school, and I don't have that quite that same network of relationships here sure. where it's like, okay, now I have to figure out how either I meet those people to sort of share in that yeah. or I have to build it in my own shop. Right. No, I hear you. Yeah, I've, I've thought about that a bunch. Is, um, I think that's maybe a topic that's too big for this conversation, and we will have to have you back on and discuss this and other things as well. But um, the I love running into other people that are as into making as I am. And uh, it's always a little tricky to probe, right? Because you'd be like... Yeah, so, hey, you want to come over and hang out yeah, in my shop? Yeah, no, like... Or, or <laughs> like just, I promise oh, it's not creepy. What have you been up to lately? I've been learning to weld. That right. reaction usually does not get, oh, really? Tig, mig, stick, what? Yeah. It's usually more like... Good for you. Okay. Um, which is fine, you know, like I, yeah. I don't expect. But um, anyway, the whole other topic, like I said, I think we could talk about um, at length some other time. But the, just the idea of, you know, as great as things like YouTube are, you know, um, and the online communities are, right, there's still, it would still be nice to have, you know, you and I are trying to build it endemically, right? We're both trying to work with our, with our daughters. Right. Um, and I, I'm sure you're like me and you'd be thrilled if your wife wanted right. to do this stuff and maybe she's interested she in does she actually hasn't. she's she's much better at refinishing furniture than okay I am. awesome yeah and so like my wife is uh, also a maker but her interests are different she's more she's a gardener um she's more on the crafty side she's less i think she would come into the shop and do more with me but you know it's a busy time right now and it just hasn't been her yeah. main interest anyway so the point is that we are actually both trying or succeeding in building these communities sort of within the house right but like i think you know, well, I, I should tell you, do I have ever tell you about Tools Night? Uh, no. So, as a sort of extension to that thing we just said, I was, again, I'm fortunate enough in my life that I built a pretty big shop on my house, and I was able to fill it with a lot of tools. It's not perfect, but it's, getting, it's good. Uh-huh. And I had a lot of friends who were interested in a lot of those things, and a couple of them, one in particular, my, my, my good friend Jeff, has a good size shop in his house, okay. and he's extraordinarily talented. He, like his woodworking projects put mine to shame, despite the fact that his shop is like the size of my workbench. Yeah, you don't need all the tools. He's do you? good. You he's really, really good. Yep. And he's clever. Like the way, and his wife is very, very artistic, and so she comes up with these crazy, complicated designs. Where if like my wife showed me that, I was like, I want this. I'd be like, Great, go on YouTube and find somebody who will build it for you. <laughs> right. Right. He's like, Okay, and he takes a challenge. He goes builds these things out of wood, and I'm like my God, Jeff, how long did this thing take you? And he's like, well, I don't know. I worked on it for six weeks every night. And I'm like, this is insanely beautiful. Yeah. Right. But anyway, so there's him. And then there's a, a handful of other people, some of whom you know, Jarrett. Yep. Um, who were in ver- at various degrees interested in that kind of making. Yep. And I said, you know what? My shop's lonesome. This was before the pandemic. Yeah. You know, but my shop needs friends. Uh, on a Tuesday night, how about everybody comes over around yeah. seven, and we'll hang out in the sh- bring your projects, bring an idea, or just bring yourself. And if I know how to do a thing, I'll help teach you to do it if you want to learn it. If you already know how to do a thing, you just need the space or the tools. Come over and do it. And we did this quite a few times. That's you know maybe a ten, eight or ten meetups before the pandemic hit, and then yep. we stopped. As soon as things settle down a little bit, we're going to start doing it again. I love that. It's awesome. I totally love that, and I actually, given that my kids are a little older, I mean, I don't know, there's actually, I mean, one good friend who's definitely would be would be down for that, um, 
but I wonder whether we might not see more uptake among my kids' friends than among our friends, per sure. se, which would be really neat as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's one, uh, one friend of my older daughter in particular who, uh, every time she's come over and been into the shop, she just, like, clearly loves it. Up she's, the... a little, she's a little shy, and so I don't... I, I think maybe being a little more proactive towards setting that up would be would be something that she would be in. Anyway, whatever. It's a really cool idea. I like that a lot. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, we're social animals, right? Like and right. like I mean, why am I sitting here on a porch at a party when I could be hanging out talking <laughs> about this? Because I'm super interested in the topic, but not just super interested in it for me. For the other people yeah, and the relationships like, and the conversations want, want around to share it the with other share, people, yeah. the listeners, you, you know, whatever. So yeah, that's super interesting. Oh, that's awesome. I have to think about that some more. It's a lot of fun. And and good and like a lot of folks, you know, it's like you know, the social network effect is very sure. real. So it's like, oh, a buddy of mine who I met at the pool or whatever came one time and he's like, you know, I have this other buddy and he's always told me that he he's interested in whatever. Or like my other neighbor's like, you know, the guy who cut my grass said that like my mower blade is just terrible. Yeah. But I don't know how to sharpen it. It's like easy stuff, right? I'm right. like, dude, you Bring the mower over. Well, easy, easy. That's an right. That, but it's a, not. It's right? not. It's like right? not anymore. Nobody's born knowing, born how, to knowing how to do yeah, stuff. Totally. Right. So I'm like, look, it's not a big deal. Bring your, you throw your mower in the back of your SUV and come over to the house. And I'll teach you how to change the oil in it. And I'll teach you how to sharpen the blade. And you know, he comes. I hear from him the next week. He's like, my lawn mowing guy came and was like really happy because the mower <laughs> works better. And like you know that it's like little yeah. stuff. But now he's totally hooked. And yeah, you know, the next time he came back and like he has a boat and. Uh, there was a storm and it like screwed up the the tiller, and so like he he had these I forget exactly what it was but it was like he needed a piece of aluminum shaped to fix a problem on the tiller and like we had to cut it and drill it and sort of whatever and it's like yeah bring it and we just did it one afternoon and it was like yeah and now he's totally into it yeah no I think it's a thing that a lot of people don't have access to for whatever reason. You know, that they don't even, I mean, even true for me, like metal, right? Like I was, we were talking about this earlier where like, you know, I would make a thing out of wood and it would need a metal fastener. And my only thought was that, oh, I better go buy that. Right. And then I learned a little bit of how to make things out of metal. And it was completely eye-opening that like, that it just, I mean, it seems obvious now to me in retrospect, but like, oh yeah, that stuff was made. I can make that. Um, and not that I need to make everything. I mean, we do joke sometimes that one of these days we're going to sit down to dinner and eat off of plates that I've turned from trees that grew in our yard, eating wheat that my wife grew in her garden that we ground in a mill that I made with the kids that you know we baked in a brick oven that we made out of bricks that we dug out of clay in the backyard, like that kind of. You know, I don't, we don't really. I, mean, I enjoy that stuff, but it's not really like the goal to be. Right. You know, we're not homesteading. It's not. That's not. That's great if you want to do that, but that's not the, the point of it. But. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's, it's super interesting to. I, I really got to think more about the um, the idea of how to make it m even more social. Like the kids, it's been great. Like I really enjoyed that stuff. But like the notion, a friend of mine actually um, actually was a guest on the show, Rob Stenzinger. Um, he actually his wife set up a uh, a, a makers chat. He just oh, cool. knows a bunch of makers, and it was like, let's do a Zoom call a during the call, pandemic. Yeah, right, right. And, you know, there were people that are into electronics. They'd build game consoles. There were artists, like visual artists that had done, you know, whatever. Yep. Um, and it was awesome. It was like people I'd never met. I mean, I knew my friend Rob, but the rest of them I did not know. Had an absolute blast talking to them because there is something quite universal about that. But, like, the idea that you're talking about, about bringing it 
bringing it in person about um, maybe even making it include people who aren't necessarily in the same oh totally relationship I mean, several is of them, awesome yeah. you know several of the folks who came uh, were only sort of maker curious sure right it was like it came up because we're friends in other contexts and yeah. I was like yeah you know we do this thing and they're like that sounds kind of wild like, like what's that about I like it a like, lot just come and check it like you don't have to bring anything you know and if you want if you want to go on you know Anna White and find a project that's like a very intro level like I want to make the folding stool thing great you know you can literally buy all those parts at Home Depot it's like some all thread and you know a couple of pieces of you know, two by two by four foot pine right. and, you know, 26 bucks at Home Depot, but you can come and you can build it in an evening right, right. and then you have it. And if you decide that's not for you, that's cool too. Sure. But like, it might actually get you sort of the bug. Yeah. Yeah. Or bring something over that you've had broken. It's your aunt's right. chair. Let's shoot Let's some it. glues and nails in it, right? Yeah. Or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. Well, I feel like that's um, as good a place to stop as we're ever going to get, especially we've been talking almost an hour. I always like to stop at this point and say, is there anything else we should talk about? Because like we don't have to stop right now. It's my damn show. We can talk as long as we want to. Um, is there anything else we feel like we should hit before we, uh, we kind of close it down? Uh, we, how about we, we save it all till the next time? Yeah, we'll do it again for sure. I think it would be awesome. Well, cool. Then we will go to the last question, which um, I stole from the Cognicast. You and I used to work. Yep. Both used to work at Cognitect. Um, and... Uh, that question, of course, is uh, for you to share with our audience a piece of advice, whatever, whatever advice that would be helpful in any respect you might think it could be about. Certainly, does not have to be about making or about learning or any of that stuff. But uh, what, what's your advice? Yeah, I think it's probably applicable to that, but not exclusively applicable to that. And it's it's don't be afraid to try. Like yeah. you just, I mean it. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, I've never made this thing like we just talked about, but it's also, you know, I, I, don't be afraid to try talking to someone new in your neighborhood. Don't be afraid to try, you know, making something exciting and new for dinner that you've never had. Like, it, it's too easy to get into the routine of, like, not exploring. And uh, life's more interesting when you try new things, whether it's, you know, making, trying, eating, socializing whatever yeah. it is yeah it's awesome i love it that's another one like i love that question I, I, every one of my guests has always had something to say that even if simple even if maybe one you've heard before is still so worth like saying again and i think that's absolutely one of those and the the older i get the more i appreciate those reminders right because i realize how much i still benefit from them so that's great that's really awesome. Well, Marshall, I really can't thank you enough for like spent hanging out for with me for an hour. Like I said, we're at a we're at a big party right now. People are playing code names on just a way <laughs> like ten feet from us. You could probably hear them in the background. I'm sure they can hear them in the background. And so it's really awesome for you to take the time and uh, and talk to me. It was super interesting. Like your work, your your hobbies. Just really, I knew that we'd have a great conversation. And that was absolutely true. So thanks a ton for coming on. Thanks, Craig. This was awesome. All right. Well, we hopefully this will have inspired some people to continue uh, to uh, get smarter and make stuff themselves. We'll catch you all next time. You have been listening to Get Smarter and Make Stuff. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Visit the show online at getsmarterandmakestuff.com. That's all spelled out, all one word. Go there to subscribe to and comment on the show, read the blog, view the gallery, and find a link to the Get Smarter and Make Stuff YouTube channel. Come on by. 
We're also on Twitter at MakeSmartStuff. If you enjoyed the show and feel like sharing with others you think might like it too, I'd certainly appreciate it. Thanks for listening and see you next time.